Thank you, Stephen and Neil. We appreciate the music this morning very much. And you all are singing very well. I've just noticed that the last two Sundays that you know, we, we do have a lot of good voice here, which is wonderful. Um, Marie is not with me today. She has to um, stay at home for a couple of days. She has some outpatient surgery on Tuesday this week. So she has to quarantine, quote unquote, is according to the rules. So that's why she's not with me this morning. But um, So that's my first preface. The preface to my message this morning of being a Psalm 1 man or woman in a Psalm 2 world is that this message originally, and the message, the theme came from Timothy's pastor in Greenville. He's been preaching a series on the Psalms, and it has been very, very meaningful to me. It has basically been a great help to me personally and spiritually through this last year. So with that, let me open our time in prayer. Father, we are grateful for your word. And your word does apply to our lives. And we want to listen to you this morning. We do live in a fallen world, and there are many rebellious people around us, and yet you are holy, and you are good, you are loving, and you want your children to live differently than the world that is around us. I do thank you for helping me with this concept this past year, and I do pray that those who are listening today will really be helped and encouraged Uh, in this as well. We just ask your blessings now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll turn with me to Psalm 1 and 2 in your Bibles, please. The last two years have filled our lives with confusion and complex situations. The election rhetoric, the COVID misdirections, the strong uh, voices pushing our cultural norms to one extreme or to the other extreme, All of these have added more stress to our lives that were already stressful lives. And they're injecting complexities and confusion into our thinking. This concept of being a Psalm 1 man or woman in a Psalm 2 world has simplified my thinking and has helped me process the confusion that is swirling around us. I hope and trust today that will help you too. I'm going to start in Psalm 2 which describes the reality of the world around us, and then move back to Psalm 1, which tells God's children how to live in light of this reality. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. It clearly points to the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, God's son, Jesus Christ. However, it does not differentiate between his first coming and his second coming. As we go through this psalm, I need you to think about it in three levels. First, there's that worldwide rebellion against God. Second, there's individuals who are rebelling against God. But third, there is our own rebellion that we have in our hearts against God. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. It is a simple question. Why do the nations rage or rebel against the Lord, the God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth? It's a pretty simple question. The answer Their pride uh, motivates them to think that they are independent, 
that they are self-ruling, and that they have power. Why would individuals rage against the Lord? Really for the same reasons. Well, why do we as redeemed children, as Christians, sin against our Lord, which is an act of rebellion? Well, our pride as well makes us think that we're independent at times, that we're self-ruling, that God doesn't see what we're doing, and that we have power on our own. We actually deceive ourselves. In contrast, God wants his children dependent on him for salvation and for all things of life. He wants us submitted to his authority and to the authority of his word. And he wants us to receive our strength from him on a daily and a moment-by-moment basis. So how can nations individuals, or even ourselves think this, this, uh, rebel- think in this rebellious way. Well, they are deceived, and we get deceived as well. We're told in the Word that Satan is a liar, the father of lies. And much of the ungodly thinking is because people have bought into lies. We can be deceived by others, and we can deceive ourselves or it can really be a combination of the two. Jesus taught a parable in Matthew 21, starting in verse 33. You can turn there if you'd like to, but we keep your hand back in Psalm, Psalm 2 for me. Matthew 21, 33, Jesus was teaching, hear another parable. And this, this parable basically illustrates this point of self-deception and rebellion against the Lord and his son. So think about it in that context. Hear another parable. This was a certain, there was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went to a far country. Now, when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants before the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, What will he do to those vine dressers? And this is what the crowd answered. They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus was not talking to the evil Roman government. Jesus was pointing this parable towards the religious leaders, those who lived lives that were independent, self-ruling, and felt that they had power. These leaders were self-deceived. Verse 43 of that passage is Jesus' summary. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to the nation bearing the fruits of it. The Bible is full. When you think about all the different people in the Bible, the Bible is full of examples of people who rebel against the Lord and his son. And this is just an example of that. So we have seen why the, the nations rage. They are prideful, and they are deceived. 
Now we're going to see the Lord's response. Verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 2. They say, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. The Lord's response is not one of helplessness, confusion, or frustration. He shall laugh and hold them in derision. Derision is not a word we use. I had to look it up. Derision means to ridicule or to laugh at something ridiculous. In verse 5 of this, it's very interesting. It says that he speaks to them in his wrath. His wrath is not anger out of frustration like we get, but his wrath is righteous, and his wrath is holy correction, and his wrath is completely controlled. Very different than when we get angry. Note that he does not bring down swift, destructive judgment on them either. He is long-suffering. Jesus demonstrates this long-suffering quality in Luke 9. If you'd like to turn there, it'd be fine. If not, I'll just read the Luke 2 verses out of Luke 9 to demonstrate this long-suffering. In Luke 9, verse 51, it says, And it came to pass, when the time had come for him, Jesus, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. This was before his crucifixion. And sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But when they did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem, and when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Do you not know what manner of spirit you are of? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. The reason the Lord can be so long-suffering is that he has set his king on that eternal throne. No rebellion on this earth will change this fact. Even man's evil crucifying of his son did not change the fact Jesus is on that eternal throne. In Psalm 2, back there again, verses 7 through 9, the son is quoting. It's very interesting when you look at how the quote marks work here. The son is quoting what the father has told him when the son was set on that throne of, of, uh, throne of authority. Verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The father has given all authority in heaven and on earth to the son. Tells us that in Matthew 28. Jesus also describes this relationship with the Father in John 5, verse 22. In John 5, verse 22, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, 
that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus then goes on in that John passage to describe his second coming. And then he summarizes in verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As long as I hear, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own, my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus has been given that authority. The Lord has set his king on the eternal throne. Nothing will change this. He has entrusted that final judgment into the hands of his son, who gave himself to save sinners. Back to Psalm 2. The last three verses of Psalm 2 are a warning to all who rebel against the Lord, the nations, the individuals, and us. Verse 10 of Psalm 2. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. The rebellion on earth seems overwhelming to us. Unrighteous laws are in place to protect those who rebel against God's ways, such as you can't have prayer, can't bring your Bible to school. Those are laws that we have in place. There's laws to protect those who are uh, dealing with abortion and sexual perversion, as well as genocide. So there are unrighteous laws in place. But we, as God's children, are called to seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on earth. That is what we must do with Psalm 2. This is the reality we must stand firm in. The Lord has set his anointed one on the throne, and it's not going to change. To summarize Psalm 2, it tells us there is a conspiracy in our land. As much as we hear about conspiracies every day, there is a conspiracy. And that ultimate conspiracy is rebellion against the Lord and against his son. This fact, or that... There is that rebellion. The fact is the rebellion is ridiculous to the Lord who has set his son on that eternal throne. And this fact will never change. His son will be the one who will judge all people when he comes again. The psalm ends with this promise. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So we believers in Jesus Christ must ask ourselves, How can I live a life of faith, a life of trusting him in this rebellious world? The Lord has given us some instructions in Psalm 1. You'll turn back one page in your Bible. Psalm 1 begins with, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 2 ended with the phrase, blessed are all these, and Psalm 1 starts with, blessed is the man. They really are bookends to concepts that are there together. First thing I want you to do is recognize when it says man in this, blessed is the man, it's a general term. 
for, for a person, not, which includes men and women. So it's, it's not specific for male. So in this case, it's instructions that really apply to all of us. So keep that in mind when, we, when I say blessed is the man, it means blessed are each one of us. Take a look at the word blessed. I looked this up. It is a noun, and sometimes it's just translated happy, but that doesn't really spell what it means to us. It means it's a state of prosperity or happiness that comes when God bestows his favor on a person. That's kind of complicated. I'll read it again, but then I'm going to put it back in and put it into some, some words that we understand. It's a state of prosperity or happiness that comes when God bestows his favor on a person. In our language today, we might say it's a fulfillment or it's a contentment. It is a mindset of fulfillment when God bestows his favor on a person. It's a sense of peace. So when we hear that blessed is the man, there's a sense of peace, a sense of fulfillment, because he knows what God is calling him to do. So when does a Christian have this mindset of fulfillment? It says in verse 1, when he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, or when he does not stand in the path of sinners, and when he does not sit in the seat of the scornful. When Christians spend a lot of time with the ungodly and let their guard down to enjoy ungodly things, they lose this blessedness. They lose the sense that they are in God's favor. They lose the mindset of fulfillment that God wants us to have. God calls his children to be different, different than the world. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul strongly calls the believers to be different. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14. And this is not referring to the marriage relationship. This is referring to any relationship in this particular portion of 2 Corinthians. Starting in verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. For believers to live in a Psalm 2 world, which is in rebellion against the Lord, they need to cleanse themselves from sin and be alert to the influence that the ungodly has on them. And the counsel that they should follow is the counsel of godly believers. 
Psalm 1, verse 2, gives us a second instruction, how to have this mindset of fulfillment that God is bestowing his favor on you. Verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So what do you fill your mind with each morning? Is it the tragic news of the day? Is it ungodly ideas from ungodly people? Is it worry and fear coming from within? To respond to this world in rebellion to the Lord, God has given us his word. It's not just a book with nice thoughts to dwell on. It is God's instruction to fallen man how to know him, how to love him, and how to be with him in eternity. On a daily basis, Psalm 119 and 105 instructs us, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In verse 11 of Psalm 119, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word makes a difference truly in our lives. So let me suggest a few things. If you do not have a regular time in the word each day, make a one-week one commitment to yourself to daily spend time reading God's word. I suggest starting and just reading in the Gospel of John, read a small passage, and then ask yourself, what does this tell me about God, and what does it tell me about man? So if you're not having a quiet time, there's a place to start. If you do have a regular time in the Word, take that time with you throughout the day. Meditate on it, is what Psalm two tells us, or Psalm 1 tells us to do, is meditate on the Word. I personally write down the main thought or verse on a card, have it in my pocket. I pull it out periodically in the day and helps my mind to refocus back on that time that I had with the Lord that morning and on that truth that I want the Lord to be changing in me. The third suggestion is to talk about what you have read in God's word with another believer to encourage them and to encourage yourself as well. How can believers live in a Psalm 2 world? First, cleanse yourself from sin and be alert to ungodly influences in your life. Second, delight in God's word and meditate on it. Psalm, three, or Psalm 1 verse 3 assures you there will be a benefit. It says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. God is good, and his ways are right. When we trust in him and we align our lives with his word, he will bring fruit from our lives for eternity. It doesn't mean that you will have an easy life. Our Lord Jesus did not have an easy life while on this earth, and neither did his disciples, and neither have people that are following him even today. But God does promise a blessedness, a mindset of fulfillment that God's favor is on you. Verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 1 addresses the ungodly in contrast to that man that is trusting in God. It says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and the way of the ungodly shall perish. God is good, and his ways are right. He has set his king on the eternal throne, and King Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. Nothing we do on this earth changes these facts. But the Lord has given us this promise. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. If you've not humbled yourself and put your trust in the Lord Jesus, that he died to pay for your sins, that he was raised again the third day to assure you that what he taught was true and that there is a resurrection, I encourage you to start there in your thinking. If you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation, but are still struggling with sin, try to understand what kind of lie you are believing. Have you deceived yourself in some way about the Lord or about yourself, which is causing this rebellion against God? Confess this lie and confess this sin to the Lord and ask him to show you his truth, to correct your thinking. And finally, all of us believers, we need to cleanse ourselves from sin and be very alert to godly influences, ungodly influences in our daily lives. We need to hide God's word in our hearts. And in doing so, he will make us grow like a tree planted by a river of water. In a moment, we will sing, This is my Father's World, But the third verse of that that hymn really summarizes its message. It says, this is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. By God's grace, we will be Psalm 1, men and women in the Psalm 2 world. Let's pray together. Father, we do humble ourselves before you and know that you are good and you are righteous. You have your plan for history is the right plan and the only plan. And you have set your king on your holy hill of Zion, the Lord Jesus. And someday he's going to return and he is going to judge the living and the dead. I pray for us, Lord, that you'd help us in this Psalm 2 world that is so confusing and complex to have our minds set upon the things above, to have us devoted to you first and foremost in our lives, to hide your word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. I pray for each one of us that that trust you and are following you, that you help us to find more victory in our lives in these coming days as we uh, put aside or we turn off the things that are ungodly and we hide your word in our hearts. We ask for those that don't know you, that you'll be drawing them to yourself, helping them to understand what is true, what are the facts that will never be changed. And Lord, we do thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.